0: Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. This is Jewel. I'm here with Cheryl, and today we're going to be talking over some very exciting new research that we've done regarding growing methods and uh, how there really isn't a right or wrong way, as long as you're doing things ethically. It's really about doing what works best for you and what's most aligned with your uh, business model and and the kind of business that you want to be running. So today, we're going to start with uh, organic growing methods. And so we've done some research and we're just going to go over, this isn't a uh, organic is good or or bad or vice versa regarding inorganic, we're just gonna go over the pros and cons of both so that you can make an informed decision as a grower about which direction you wanna go in or if if maybe you wanna change direction. So we're gonna start with organic. And so before chemical fertilizers, traditional farming practices really required you to keep the soil healthy and rich in nutrients by either using nitrogen fixers such as leguminous plants so beans peas as cover crops or by spreading manure and so the benefits of organic fertilizers are there's several benefits and we'll just go over a few of them so it's slow release of the nutrient prop oh slow release of the nutrients protects the plants from overfeeding or burning over time, organic fertilizers can improve the quality and diversity of life in your soil because we all know that not all bacteria is bad. There is good bacteria. And it improves the airflow and water retention in the soil. It's renewable and sustainable. And organic stay in the soil with a lower chance of nutrient runoff. When working with organic fertilizers, you are given the opportunity to improve your growing medium while at the same time improving the quality of your flower regarding cannabis plants. The benefit from organics largely comes from the ability to nurture the balance. Growers often find that growing organically ultimately increases the flavor profile on the cannabis that is your end product as well as increasing the yield. Another substantial benefit comes from the fact that this fertilization process can repeat itself year after year as the soil continually improves and this makes using organic fertilizers a popular choice for outdoor gardeners who use the same soil repeatedly. And what this tells us is that organic is easier with an outdoor grow because it's a more natural environment for any plant realistically but it's still possible indoors it just requires more work because with an indoor grow your soil is contained and that can make it harder to reuse those, the nutrients over and over again. So the disadvantages of organic farming when it comes to cannabis cultivating is it takes time to be absorbed by the plant. It requires microorganisms to break down the nutrients, which can be slow in colder temperatures. Hello, Canada. So that's another reason why organic farming outdoors in Canada can be a challenge, but certainly not insurmountable, especially if you're willing to operate off of a a cyclical schedule that allows you to use the environment that we do have to your advantage. Organic growing can also introduce pests and insects, and it can be expensive. A resource, if you are interested in pursuing organic Farming is the Organic Cannabis Association, and it offers members training and certification in the standards that they advocate for cannabis growth and packaging practices. So if that's something that you're interested in, there are options out there to become even more familiar with organic processing and cultivating. So now we'll go on to inorganic, and Again, there's not a good or bad way to do things, and I've heard people talk about this idea that Health Canada mandates that you have to grow organically, and currently that is not mandated by Health Canada. That doesn't mean that they won't change their position in the future, uh, and certainly growing organic is does have its advantages in terms of knowing exactly what's in your plant, but again, that doesn't mean that growing inorganic is not allowed, that it's not acceptable, uh, and that it's not a safe practice for growing plants. So regarding inorganic growing methods, chemical fertilizers are synthesized and extracted to a specific chemical form and that's what makes it not natural when you're referring to practices regarding growing. So the benefits of inorganic farming are exact nutrient ratios, increased growth and THC production, rapid nutrient uptake by the plant. Usually you can adjust the pH of the water. It's sometimes more affordable and it's widely available. And it does make indoor cultivation a little bit easier. The main benefit of using chemical fertilizers lies in They're precise ratios of nutrients that can deliver big results in terms of yields. When applied to your garden, they are readily available and can start to impact a plant's health immediately. The specific ratios of different fertilizers allow you to customize what really works best for individual strains, leading to a higher yield and THC content. And we did discuss that a higher yield is also possible with organic, It's just that you have more control over the very specific nutrients that you're providing to the plant when you're using inorganic methods. The disadvantages of inorganic fertilizers, so chemical fertilizers, is they don't feed into the development of the soil. They can burn and kill plants by overfeeding. They leach from the growing medium, impacting the surrounding environment, They're produced from non-renewable sources. Chemical fertilizers, they obviously have these downsides because the nutrients are readily available and so they can also burn and kill a plant by overfeeding. These readily available nutrients do not add to the quality of the soil, which is a big difference from organic growing methods before they're used by the plant, leaving the soil quality diminished. Weakened soil quality allows for nutrient runoff to occur, occur, which wastes nutrients and money and can negatively impact the surrounding environment. And because the nature of the compounds used in nutrients, the plants have to be flushed for two weeks before harvesting to prevent the chemicals from tainting the end product. So organic, it's hard to say that organic doesn't sound better. But when you're considering flushing the plants, that you're flushing all the chemicals out, it really becomes a personal decision at the end of the day. As long as nobody is being impacted negatively by the outcomes of inorganic farming, then it's really just a different choice in practice. And ultimately we learn more and more about the benefits of both methods of farming as more tests are being done, as we're learning more about the industry. This is all changing, but at the current state of where we are in the cannabis industry in Canada, you are still able to grow inorganically as long as you're flushing those plants at the end so that the end user isn't impacted. So Cheryl, did you wanna add anything
1: about inorganic or organic farming? I have, (coughs) Um, hi everybody. I have used um, organic, Farming techniques, and I've used um, fertilizers that aren't classic. Now, I've never used anything harsh like Miracle Grow, but I have used Advanced Nutrients and some of the other nutrients that are out there that are specifically designed for cannabis. And my experience has been that, for me, and the products that I've used, um, Sensi Grow both parts, and Cincy Bloom, both parts. I've also used uh, Ancient Earth. All of these products come from Advanced Nutrients. I've used Ancient Earth, Bud Candy, B52, Piranha, um, Overdrive, Bud Overdrive, Bud Candy. I've used a whole host of Advanced Nutrients uh, products, and I believe in them because... The product that I've finished with has been a, a, a superior product, but I do know that Health Canada has removed um, Sensi Bloom, I believe it is, from the from the marketplace and uh, replaced it. It's been replaced by Connoisseur, a, a product from uh, Advanced Nutrients called Connoisseur. I've read the history of the company, Advanced Nutrients, and. The gentleman that came up with the business has been a grower for a long time, and he apparently has twenty-three PhDs designing his um, his product uh, to optimize cannabis. My my one drawback with it is that well, it's expensive, so that's one drawback. But the other drawback is that he's designed. His formulas around cannabis in um, it, in what kind of medium? Like, are they growing in soil or are they growing hydroponically? So, while it's optimized for cannabis, I don't know how it interacts with the soil medium that I use. And so, it it I think it makes a difference. Um, I would like to get to a point where. I'm designing my own nutrients for specifically the strains that I'm growing in the medium that I'm using. And right now it's a soil uh, medium. So I would like to get to the point where I'm using compost teas and doing all my own designing so that it's specific, almost like, a, like a, it, it's specific to my grow and um, protected information that, that becomes part of my secret sauce.
0: And there's an added responsibility with inorganic growing because of the potential effects on the plant and the surrounding environment if not handled properly. And that's why certain fertilizers might be banned, have been banned, and might continue to be banned in the future, which increases the need for those using inorganic methods to be educated. So, a good analogy for organic and chemical fertilizers is the comparison between baking and cooking. So organics are like cooking. You can take away, add, and alter the recipe and find a unique, delicious meal at the end of the day. Chemical fertilizers are more like baking. You know what you have and you know what you need precisely to end up with a beautiful loaf of bread. If you stray from the recipe, though, you can end up with problems. And so all of that information comes from Are putting this report together but specifically a lot of it comes from an article from leafly.ca and if you are interested in reading more about that information I can provide you with the link if you just send me an email as well as the rest of the links for the information in today's report. So now we're going to move on to something that's been a lot of interest to us at Grow Your Own Cannabis in regards to our own cultivation and so we felt that it was something that might also really benefit a lot of the people that we're working with. So that is Korean farming techniques. And I was introduced to this a few months ago. And so Korean natural farming recognizes three general stages in plant development and has has developed a recipe for products for each of these stages. And really what Korean farming is, it's sort of like, a Chinese medicine approach to gardening. So it really looks at your process holistically, looking at the beginning stage of the plant, the end of the plant. It's a very cohesive way of providing nutrients to your plants. And ultimately, uh, when done correctly, is a, can be an organic way of growing. So for the nutritional growth vegetative state, there is a combination of different ingredients that are used and if you do want more information on this then i can provide you with the links but we're just going to go over it briefly here just to prevent or to provide you with the information and if it's something that you are interested in we can certainly chat more about that as i said just send me an email so for the growth vegetative state The ingredients for Korean farming are fish amino acids, fermented plant juice, lactic acid bacteria, and oriental herb nutrient. And those are all what you would use in the very early stages of vegetation. For the changeover stage, which is really where the plant is, I guess you could consider it sort of a teenager at this point, this would be where it's switching from vegging to, uh, but you're not quite at the flower stage yet. And the go-to recipes are the lactic acid bacteria, the oriental herb nutrient, and then water-soluble calcium with potassium and fermented fruit juice. And then in the full-on reproductive stage, it's advisable to use the lactic acid bacteria, water-soluble calcium without the potassium, and the oriental herb nutrient, And the Another ingredient that's used fairly consistently throughout Korean farming is the indigenous microorganisms. So that really relates back to that good bacteria, but also uh, a natural sort of farming state where you're using things like microhazy to complement the environment that the plant is growing in already and really give it the best opportunity to thrive. And just so that you have the information, the oriental herbal nutrient is uh, something that you create on your own, as most of these things are from ingredients. But this one specifically is equal parts garlic, ginger, cinnamon bark, licorice root, and then two parts angelica root. And you keep them separate and then
1: crush them. And is that something that like it goes on like a compost tea, do you know? So from my understanding,
0: it is, um, it's almost like a powder. And then once you water the plants, it would soak in oh, to the nutrients.
1: Yeah.
0: So if you are interested in that, there's a, a sort of a, a guidebook that was written by an expert of Korean farming techniques, and that's called Agricultural Materials by Han Q. Cho. And again, if you'd like a link to more information aside from that uh, physical reading material, just send me an email. So now we're going to get into more of the state of the industry, which we usually like to bring aspects of this every week, just so that you have a touchstone of where the industry is currently at. So because we've been talking a lot about organic and Korean farming and the benefits of organic or the benefits of inorganic we're going to stay with that sort of environmentally friendly going green theme. So a cannabis company has unveiled what it claims is the largest solar panel installation in a cannabis cultivation in Canada so far. Alberta-based Freedom Cannabis has a 1.8 megawatt rooftop setup that consists of 4,574 panels at its facility west of Edmonton. And the system was supplied by Alberta based utilities company NMAX and will offset more than 1,000 tons of greenhouse gas emissions every year. That is according to Freedom Cannabis themselves. And they have been quoted as saying that they feel it makes a lot of sense uh, for other companies to also invest in green practices, because the return on investment may be a bit of a longer time period, but will ultimately make a lot of sense, and that uh, as an industry, it's important to be considering the the environmental impacts. Freedom says that it has Other initiatives underway as well to reduce its carbon footprint, including water remediation and offering 100% recyclable packaging. So why is this relevant to us? Well, there's one reason specifically that this is highly relevant to everyone who has a business in the cannabis industry, and that's marketing. So while there are other benefits of being environmental, obviously, and being green as a company, is a a big marketing play because as we are experiencing climate change as a global culture, it's a big topic for people. And so when companies are making the switch to be more green, to be more environmental, consumers see companies making those switches and and they can then feel good about the decision to shop with you because that means that as by association, they are also going green. It's a talking point as well as a feel good point. Uh, It it would be similar to when a company makes a donation to charity and ultimately it's a tax write off for them, but consumers see that charity donation and it makes them feel good about shopping there. It's a similar uh, marketing strategy. Another big reason why going green would be an asset for any company is with solar specifically, you get a rebate but there are a lot of tax incentives in terms of going green and those vary across the country and by country and province. And so if you are considering more green practices, it would be worth your time to look into opportunities where that would benefit you financially as well, whether that's uh, tax incentives or a savings if you're working with a specific company for soil providing or nutrients if you supply it back to them and it can be recycled, then there's ways that you can save money ultimately, but also use that to your advantage in terms of marketing. And obviously, the major reason that anybody would be doing this is because it's environmentally friendly. And being a responsible human in this day and age merits the fact that we should all be environmentally conscious at the very minimum and environmentally friendly uh, on the median scale of things, where we all recognize that it's really the right thing to do. And so it's worth doing anyway, but because of the incentives that come along with it, that's why it would make sense from a business standpoint. And it also may be cost effective for you. So as mentioned in the article referencing Freedom Cannabis, Cannabis, the payoff time is a little bit longer, but ultimately it is going to benefit them to be saving that much power And the same could be said for your business, perhaps just on a smaller scale. It's really taking the initiative to look into ways that you can save money by also being environmental. So now we'll go on and discuss what is currently happening with LPs. And I love bringing you the news about what's going on with LPs because as a group of micro cultivators, we have a unique opportunity to come together and really uh, be that environmental standpoint as well as really representing the little guy. And when we all come together, you know, if there's 200 or 400 or a thousand micro cultivators who are all working together, then that really it says something about the industry and that's really where we see the industry thriving is when micro cultivators come together with their craft products and grow from each other and grow together to create the kind of industry that the cannabis plant really deserves. After having being stigmatized and demonized for so many decades and ultimately centuries, for a plant that can do so much good for people, it really deserves to have an environment of people who are passionate and care about it. So with all that being said, I really like to bring you an update on, on what's happening with the LPs and why uh, being a microcultivator is ultimately the way to go. At least that's our opinion. And of course we can always work with LPs and work together to help the entire industry thrive, but we definitely have a spot, a soft spot here at Grow Your Own Cannabis for Microcultivation. So, Canadian Securities Regulators are calling on companies in the cannabis industry to strengthen their governance and disclosure practices to ensure investors are aware of potential conflicts of interest for executives and directors relating to M&A activity. The staff noticed an issue Tuesday by the Canadian Securities Administrator, which is an umbrella organization for provincial securities regulators, an attempt to address a higher-than-usual crossover, quote-unquote, of potential conflicts of interest, such as overlapping debt and equity in the sector's M and A transactions over the past several years. The notice details how CSA staff have identified some deals where either the where either the acquirer or the acquiree had an undisclosed financial interest in the entity of the other, something that is deemed, quote, material information for investors. Other examples in need of improvement are when cannabis company executives or directors may have potential conflicts of interest that include personal or business relationships with other directors that could compromise their independence. So what does all that mean? Well, ultimately it means what it has meant in the investment industry for ages, that there's a lot of subverse activity that occurs where there's multiple interests at play and people are benefiting uh, on the inside track as well as the outside track and that investors aren't necessarily being made aware of that information that ultimately could be uh, somewhat insider trading or at least uh, demonstrative of insider trading where there's one individual has a higher interest in the results of a certain partnership and that the investors are not made aware of that. And that's going to, that's what happens when you're working with corporations that are being publicly traded. That's just part of the stock industry because a lot of it is speculative. And so, but what that ultimately means is that the stocks can be manipulated based off of um, personal relationships of executives and directors. Behind
1: the scenes knowledge,
0: yeah. (laughs) which is why it's so important to strengthen the microcultivation community which is really more like a collective of people coming together for the greater good of the industry the uh, destroying the stigma of the plant and letting people see why this plant has so many benefits and why it has so many advocates mm-hmm. outside of just financial interests for corporations as well as investors who don't really have a stake in the game or a vested interest. Mm-hmm. So now we'll discuss uh, what's going on internationally that could be of benefit for you. So Aurora Cannabis is angling to become the world's leading cannabis company and the Canadian operator's next big play will be speculatively towards the south of the border. Aurora is planning to aggressively pursue business in the United States cannabis market with an acquisition in the hemp-derived CBD space as its potential first big move. They expect to have a significant footprint in the U.S. in the coming quarters, which is according to their chairman, Michael Singer, which he told to CNN Business on Thursday. U.S. sales of products containing hemp-derived cannabidol, commonly known as CBD, have boomed following the last year's passage of the Farm Bill, which legalized hemp. The bill also left CBD to the purview of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which is still reviewing how or if products that contain CBD can be consumed. Aurora entered the U.S. CBD space earlier this year via a multi-year research partnership with the Ultimate Fighting Championship, more commonly known as the UFC, based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. While several Canadian licensed producers have landed high-profile American investors, such as Corona maker Constellation Brandon and Canopy and Marble maker Altria and Kronos Group, Aurora has been noticeably absent from such billion-dollar deals. Aurora has conducted a quote review tour of America's multi-state cannabis operators and is leveraging the contacts of new strategic advisor Nelson Peltz in those efforts. Peltz, the billionaire advisor investor and activist, has also set up conversations between Aurora and several companies in other industries for potential future partnerships. And that's according to Singer in an interview Thursday following Aurora's fourth quarter fiscal earnings call. So what that means for you, well, there's a few things. First of all, when we're talking about the fact that both Canopy and Kronos, which are major players in the Canadian cannabis market, as well as positioned to be leaders in the global cannabis industry. They both have massive US investors, which leads us back to the same conversation that we were just having about uh, corporations having Ulterior interests that they're not. It's not altruistically invested in the cannabis industry or in seeing that thrive that it's really more about the bottom line and we can uh, we can make that assumption which is an assumption, but we can safely make an assumption that because they are backed by U.S. companies, that they are primarily in this for the financial gains, less about helping people and delivering a quality product to people. And so what we can take away from Aurora being openly candid about moving into the U.S. market is that that will really open the doors for micro cultivators to move into the u.s as well with a company as big as aurora they're going to be pushing uh pushing their way into the u.s realistically and with investors like Peltz, they're going to be pressuring the u.s to federally legalize cannabis and so there are just a few things to note there is a u.s election coming up and cannabis is going to be a big topic as it's been legalized through several states it's it's likely that cannabis could be federally legalized by the next election or certainly through the next presidential term. And we also want to keep a close eye on the U.S. as opportunities to export because legal exportation to the U.S. will be increasing as it is federally legal and the U.S. will not be ready to keep up with the demand. As we have seen with Canada, it's taken time for people to get licensed, to be properly retrofitted to grow cannabis and then ultimately produce it. So Americans will have, that's a huge market of 300 million people who will suddenly have an interest in legal cannabis and they're going to need someone to fill that supply chain and the U.S. federal government is going to want it done legally as well as safely and they'll be looking to their friendly neighbors to the north to help them fill that gap while they get uh, their own industry up and going. And that's the perfect time for micro cultivators to really express that craft cannabis position and let people know why we excel at craft versus just uh, bulk selling, which is what we're seeing with the LPs. So to summarize today's conversation, We've gone over different growing practices that you can utilize and make a decision about moving forward. And I hope that you have found this information useful and that you will be able to uh, utilize it in terms of making a decision about the ways that you want to grow, but also potential marketing standpoints if you did choose to go forward organically. And then what we discussed in the second part of today's conversation is over the next few years, there are going to be big opportunities in the cannabis industry, not just in Canada, but also in the US potentially and and then in a global market, which is becoming more legalized every week. So the key here is to stay informed while building your cultivation so that you can continue to expand in the ways that best suit you and your business and to really be taking in this information through the eyes of a business owner not just a cultivator so that if there are goals that you want to reach in regards to growth or a certain platform or even um, like an ethical standpoint that you'd like to make with your marketing that you feel would help you identify to a specific audience better these are all points that you want to consider as a business owner, not just a cultivator to really give yourself the best advantage possible. Have you met Mary Jane? Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about have today's topics Mary or the cannabis Jane? industry in general, feel free to send an email to jewel at cwcultivations.com. That's C-W-C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N-S.com.